personal details. Agent name, Melita Norwood, nay, Melita Cernus. Code name, Agent Hola. Alias, none. Nationality, Great Britain. Date of birth, March 25th, 1912. Marital status, married. Children, one, Anita Ferguson. Gender, female. Languages, English. Occupation, secretary to G.L. Bailey at Non-Ferrous Metals Research Association. Spied for Soviet Union through NKVD, GRU, and KGB. Information compromised. Past Soviets materials related to British Atomic Weapons Project known as Tube Alloys. Retired, 1972. Status, deceased, June 2nd, 2005. Welcome to the first episode of the first season of Secret Spy Sisters. I am Tammy, your disembodied voice, relating to you the stories of female spies throughout history. Together we'll explore the lives of these women and try to understand their motivations for spying. Was it money, love, ideology, or some other reason? Women have been used as spies for all types of espionage since the beginning of time, although documentation of females being used as spies in antiquity is scarce. For an extremely brief history of espionage, please listen to the trailer for this podcast. And now, let's dive right into the history of Melita Norwood and why a British woman would spy for the Soviet Union during World War II and the Cold War. Melita Norwood was born Melita Stedman Cernus. She has her mother's maiden name as her middle name, which was not uncommon during those times. My cousin has my maternal aunt's middle name. Uh, as his middle name. <laughs> anyway, as stated in her dossier at the beginning of the podcast, she was born March 25th, 1912, to Peter Alexander Cernus and Gertrude Stedman in Bournemouth, England, which is a coastal resort town on the southern coast of England. It currently has a population of 183,491 and is about 17.83 square miles. Melita's father, Peter, was from Latvia and a close association of the Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks were a radical far-left revolutionary Marxist group founded by Vladimir Lenin. So let's unpack that a little bit. Marxism is the political and economic theories of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. To quote Investopedia, quote, Marxism is a social, political, and economic philosophy named after Karl Marx. It examines the effect of capitalism on labor, productivity, and economic development, and argues for a worker revolution to overturn capitalism in favor of communism. Marxism posits that the struggle between classes, specifically between the bourgeoisie, which would be like, I don't know, those that rule, <laughs> governments, uh, you know, the, the 1%, um, and the proletariat, the workers, all the rest of us, defines economic relations in a capitalist economy and will inevitably excuse me, lead to revolutionary communism, end quote. It's really complicated, but there it is in a nutshell. Marxist-Leninist uh, Marxist-Leninism, <laughs> Marxism-Leninism, <laughs> is an establishment of the dictatorship of the proletariat, where the proletariat would have all the political power. Okay, so it would it would take it away from the bourgeoisie. They would be led the proletariat by a revolutionary vanguard party, which would be the most class-conscious and politically advanced sections of the proletariat or working class. They would form organizations to rule as the political prelude to the establishment of communism. This vanguard group would educate the rest of the proletariat so they could all rule together. This never, ever happens. What really happens is this vanguard group ends up taking over and everybody else worked for nothing because the vanguard group becomes dictators. And that has proven to be true every single time. Anyway, Melita's father, Peter was also a good friend of the Russian author, Leo Tolstoy, who believed that the aristocracy was a burden on the poor and opposed private land ownership. 
Lenin said that Tolstoy's hatred of feudalism and capitalism marked the prelude to the proletariat, proletarian sorry, socialism. Hmm. Probably not. Because Tolstoy came from an aristocratic family, and it's really easy to be an aristocrat and, you know, bash the aristocrats <laughs> and never gave up his stuff, right? Uh, Peter, Melita's father, had produced the newspaper, the Southern Worker and Labor and Socialist Journal, and was highly influenced by the October Revolution in Russia. However, he died shortly after this, in November 1918, of tuberculosis at the ripe old age of 36. Melita was six years old at the time. All right. Melita's mother, there's not as much about her, but Gertrude Stedman, she was British. Uh, she was left with two children uh, and had joined the Cooperative Party after her husband died. So the Cooperative Party, this is in Great Britain, was a center-left political party in London that was established in 1917. Its roots go back to the Cooperative Union of 1881, quote, the Central Membership Organization for Cooperative Enterprise throughout the UK, end quote. They campaigned for the fair treatment of cooperative enterprise and to elect cooperators to Parliament. A cooperative, by the way, is a farm, business, or other organization which is owned and run jointly by its members and those who join a membership, join that membership, uh, who share the profits or benefits. So think of it like this. Credit unions are co-ops because not only do the employees own a little bit of it, the members, those that bank there, they are members and they own a part of it. And there is a profit sharing with that. Uh, yesterday, I bought uh, hiking boots for me and my son. We went and bought, you know, hiking equipment and stuff at REI. And REI advertises right outside their door that they are a cooperative. Thank you for patronizing a cooperative. I also own, uh, I have like a membership through them also. So that, you know, I'm part of that co-op. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that sets the background for uh, Melita possibly having sympathies <laughs> towards communism. Uh, in Melita's formative years, she won a scholarship in 1923 for a private school, the I-T-C-H-E in Eichten, Eichten. I found so many different pronunciations, but anyway, uh, the Eichten Secondary School, where she became school captain in 1928. She went to the University College of Southampton, where she studied Latin and logic, both worthless, sorry, they just are. Latin these days? Mm, no. And logic? <laughs> It didn't work on her anyway, and she dropped out in 1931, so that explains on there too. She then moved to Heidelberg, Germany. Now, this is in the early 30s, so keep this in mind. She moved to Heidelberg, Germany, lived there a year, and became involved in anti-fascist activity, which is kind of ironic due to the rise of Hitler in that country, uh, who was, he was appointed chancellor of Germany in 1933. So she's anti-fascist, which communists are, communism and, and fascism, very similar in how they treat their peoples, but definitely, you know, supposedly enemies. So she leaves Germany and she goes back to England uh, right before Hitler takes over. So in 1932, she got a job at the British Non-Ferrous Metals Research Association as a secretary to G.L. Bailey, the head of a department, uh, and he was also on an advisory committee. Um, she holds this job forever. She holds it from 1932 to 1972, so 40 years. The BNFMRA, as it is known, uh, did research on metallurgy. Metallurgy is the science and engineering that studies the physical and chemical behavior of metallic elements, their intermetallic compounds, and their mixtures, which are called alloys. Later, 
During and after World War II, the BNFMRA <laughs> was involved in an atomic weapons project called the Tube Alloys with Canada. And we'll get back to that later. All right, so Melita uh, married Hil Hilary Nussbaum in 1935. Hilary changed his last name to Norwood because he was Jewish, and it was easier not to be Jewish during that time, even in Great Britain. Unfortunately, anti-Semitism was prevalent in most places. He was a chemistry teacher and a lifelong communist, so there's that background there, too. Melita had joined the Independent Labor Party, but the group splintered in 1936, and she joined the Communist Party of Great Britain. The Communist Party of Great Britain had been founded in 1921. It was a socialist party based on Marxist-Leninist ideology, of which we already talked about, right? This is where Melita met Andrew Rothstein, who was a leading member of the Communist Party of Great Britain. There is conflicting stories about who approached who. Some sources say Melita approached Rothstein. Uh, she even says she did, asking to become an agent for the NKVD. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. She's quoted as saying, quote, I must have thought if any of the work the BNFMRA was doing, not secret stuff, might be useful. But I didn't immediately think of pinching it. I made the approach, end quote. Well, more on that later. But some say Rothstein recruited her. Either way, this is when she started spying for the Soviets. All right, so the NKVD was the, I'm going to do my best for this, Narodny Commissariat Venutrentka Del, or in English, the People's Commissariat for Internal Affairs. It was established in 1917 and did regular police work, but also oversaw prisons and labor camps. It was disbanded in 1930, but then reinstated in 1934, and secret police activity was added to it, to its duties. It created and ran the gulag system, carried out the great purge for Stalin, and engaged in espionage. By 1937, Melita had become a full agent for the NKVD. The Norwoods moved to Bexley Heath in Kent, England, where she lived in the same house until the day she died, which is weird. Bexley Heath is one of the first areas settled after Rome left the British Isles. It's really... It's got a long history. It even has 26 castles and a population as of 2011, I couldn't find a more current one, of about 31,929 people in about 1,442 square miles. All right, after a new wave of purges in the Soviet Union, the NKVD cut back on their overseas espionage and Joseph Stalin in 1942, less than a year after the invasion of the Soviet Union by Nazi Germany, created the GRU, or the Glavnoji Razvedivatelonoji Upravanegi, or in English, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Russia. From April 1943, the GRU handed human intelligence, handled, excuse me, human intelligence exclusively outside the USSR. In addition to operations, meaning, you know, they dealt with the spies, right? In addition to operations against the Axis powers, GRU is credited with having infiltrated the British nuclear weapon program and up to 70 American government and scientific institutions. Well, Melita was one of those in Britain. She passed materials related to the British part of the atomic weapons project I mentioned, Tube Alloys. Tube Alloys was the research and development program authorized by the United Kingdom, with participation from Canada to develop nuclear weapons during the Second World War, starting before the Manhattan, starting before the Manhattan Project in the United States, which ends up developing uh, the two uh, atomic bombs dropped on Japan, 
Um, the British efforts were kept classified and as such had to be referred to by code, to Balloise, even within the highest circles of government. According to David Burke, the author of The Spy Who Came In from the Co-op, Melita Norwood and the Ending of the Cold War Espionage, quote, the information she supplied on the behaviors of uranium metal at high temperatures permitted the Soviet Union to test an atomic bomb four years earlier than British and American intelligence thought possible, end quote. So how did she do this, right? Okay, so how can you be a spy? First of all, she's a secretary of a bigwig at the, I always forget the accurate, it's not even at the initials, B-N-F-M-R-A. So she, she does she have access to all this stuff? Is this, is this one of those cases where she's a secretary so they don't think anything about it and they just talk in front of her, you know? Her, her activities with the Communist Party was known. She never made it a secret. In fact, she would buy 32 copies of the Communist newspaper, The Morning Star, and put them in her neighbor's mailboxes. So like everybody knew, I'm sure they did a background check on this woman. Her family is involved in communism. I mean, shit, her dad was a good friend of Leo Tolstoy, right? And, and the Bolsheviks who took over during the Russian Revolution. So why, why was... <laughs> to me, there's a lot of, a lot of missteps with her. Her boss had been warned not to speak of anything in front of her, but he gave her like keys to his, his safes. And, uh, so she would sneak into, this is how she would do it. She would sneak into her boss's office and take pictures of the documents that he kept in that safe. She would then pass this on to a KGB agent, the KGB or the Kimitet Gosadarf Oh, shit, why am I even trying the Russian? But anyway, I, I'm going to try it because it's fun. Komatet Gosadarv Dars Devanovnow. It's so fascinating. Bezopasnosti, or the Committee for State Security in English, was the successor of the GRU uh, in 1954. So Melita's main contact, or handler, was Ursula Burton, who often posed as a Jewish refugee from Nazi Germany. She moved to Britain in 1939 and established a Soviet spy ring codenamed Sonia. And we'll do an episode about her sometime also. Anyway, Melita only met with her contact four or five times a year, usually in the suburbs of southeast London. Melita said, quote, Sometimes if I was typing something, I typed an extra copy. I typed up the minutes of meetings. I passed on copies by arrangement, left them somewhere prearranged, or met somebody and handled, handed them over. She did this until the fucking 1970s. In 1958, she joined a campaign for nuclear disarmament, which is weird. Uh, we'll talk about that later, too. In 1960, the KGB offered her a pension of 20 pounds a month, of which she declined. We'll talk about that later, also. In 1965, she was finally identified as a security risk. Duh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> By British security services, but they did not question her because they wanted to avoid disclosing her methods. She retired from her job as secretary in 1972. So they, she goes from 1932 to 1965. Nobody really, they kind of go, well, maybe she could be a security risk. Then they decide she is a security risk. And then she retires with nobody doing anything about it. In 1986, her husband Hillary died. She said later that he had never approved of her spine, but knew about it. He knew the whole fucking time. But then again, he was a communist. In 1979, Melita made her only visit to Moscow to receive the Order of the Red Banner from the Soviet Union. This medal was established to honor great deeds and services to the Soviet state and society in the fields of production, science, culture, literature, the arts, education, health, social, and other spheres of labor activities. The KGB said she was a committed, quote, sorry, committed, reliable, and disciplined agent striving to be 
of the utmost assistance, end quote. Ugh. So how do they find out, right? How do they find out? She's living life. She's just going about her business. Just as by, by 1979, you know, she's not a spring chicken anymore. So by 1979, she's, she's you know, probably grandmotherly, all that kind of stuff. All right. So this is how they find out. In 1992, ex-KGB agent, or actually he was uh, an archivist for the KGB, Vasily Matrokin gave six trunks of KGB files to the U.S. government. In his book, The Matrokin Archive, The KGB in Europe and the West, Cambridge professor Christopher Andrews said the Norwood, that Norwood was, quote, both the most important British female agent in KGB history and the longest serving of all Soviet spies in Britain, end quote. Goddamn. In 1999, the book came out and Melita was exposed. Neighbors and her own daughter were shocked. They did not know this was <laughs> that she had done this. The story ran in the Times in London. Melita's daughter, Anita, said that her mother called her and said that the papers were going to run a story on her, but she didn't give Anita any details. So Anita said, quote, When I first saw all the details, I just felt complete disbelief. It was a very big shock. I wish I could do this in a British accent, but I'm working on that. I had no idea, no idea at all. It's probably better I didn't know. I would not have liked to have kept such a secret, end quote. <laughs> Uh, her neighbor, Ray Simmons, said, quote, I've known her for 20 years, and she never gave a hint of anything like that. It's quite a shock to be told that the sweet old lady around the corner has been a KGB spy, end quote. So, yeah, by this time, she's in her fucking 80s, right? And she's gone from 1932 to 1999 without anybody knowing for absolute positively sure in 1999, Melita, who was 84 at the time, gave a press conference outside her home. The pictures are <laughs> will be on my website. I'll tell you what that website is in just a little bit. But uh, she does look very British grandma. <laughs> uh, if you've ever watched like uh, any British comedies or television or whatever, she definitely looks grandma British. Um, anyway, so she said she never gained material benefits for her spying, so the money is out. She said she did not generally, quote, agree with spying against one's own country, end quote. But she hoped that she was what she was doing would help, quote, Russia to keep abreast of Britain, America, and Germany. I did what I did, not to make money, but to help prevent the defeat of a new system which had, at great cost, given ordinary people food and fares which they could afford, a good education, and a health system. Oh, dear. She also said, quote, I thought I'd got away with it, and in the same circumstances, I know that I would do the same thing. Naive? Yes, we'll talk about that in a second. In 2005, Melita Norwood, one of the most important spies for the Soviet Union, died of cancer and heart disease. Now, what was her motivation? So, she said her motivation was not money, but that she wanted to help the Soviet Union. The question comes down to, did she know what was fucking happening in the Soviet Union? Did she not know about all the terrible things that Stalin did to his people. Because of her upbringing, was she just naive and duped by the Soviet propaganda machine? Did she not read a fucking newspaper anywhere else? Listen to the radio anywhere else. The television by 1999. Oh, actually by 2005 when she dies. Seriously. <laughs> and she had no regrets. She said she thought that after World War II, the Soviet Union was the only counterbalance to the West, and that the West shouldn't be the only ones with nukes. She said, quote, I thought they should somehow be adequately defended because everyone was against them, 
duh, against this experiment, duh. And they had been through such hardship from the Germans. And the war the Russians were on our side. And it was unfair to them that they shouldn't be able to develop their weaponry. End quote. Seriously? Especially during the Cold War. How can someone be so blind to the atrocities of the Soviet Union? She said, quote, You didn't have to agree with everything that was being done in Russia. End quote. Damn. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I can still support a country. Ugh, I, I'm not going to even get into that. Seriously. Anyway, why was she never caught or prosecuted? According to the British government, she was never prosecuted because that possibly would have compromised other investigations going on, like more other spies, you know, deeper spies, whatever. Time goes on, right? Time marches on, and it seems like she was just forgotten since she stopped her activities in 1972. Then the Cold War ends in 1989, so what's the fucking point at this point, right? Ugh. I don't know. Seems to me that by 89, yeah, okay, she's an old lady still, right? By that time, she's 74. Okay, you didn't prosecute her? I think so. We, they, pro they continue to find and prosecute old fucking Nazis, right? And I'm not comparing her to a Nazi. Of course not. She's not that evil. And I'm not even saying, I mean, she did what she did for not evil purposes, just seems very naive that you want, you know, here's this country who is hurting its people constantly. And yeah, I know, I know. Don't get me started on, on the West. Don't get me started on the United States. Don't get me started on Great Britain and hurting people. I, I understand. I do. And I'm hoping you're thinking that too, because we will go over that kind of stuff later. But as far as this is concerned, um, you know, the ideology. So she did it more out of pity for the ideology <laughs> uh, than anything else. That's so strange. Well, thanks so much for listening to the first episode of Secret Spy Sisters. I would love to hear some feedback, please. Please email me at secretspysisters, all one word, at yahoo.com. I would love to know of some female spies you would like to hear about. Uh, pretty soon I'm going to have a Twitter. I do not have that set up yet. Maybe by the time this comes out, I will. Uh, also a Facebook group. Please give this podcast five stars in Apple Podcasts. Hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll have that on there also. That one takes a little bit of time. Uh, but on all the other podcasting sites, please rate us. Uh, rate this podcast. Give me feedback. I would love to hear from you. Put stuff in the comments. Um, go to the website. The website is womencommittingcrimes.com. Yes, womencommittingcrimes.com, where you can see pictures of these women as well as for a podcast called Women Committing Crimes uh, that is with me about all women from all time periods committing all types of crimes. And that's found wherever you can uh, listen to podcasts. For next week, I'll be talking about Julia Bonvai, who spied during the Hungarian Revolution in 1848. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>